0: Welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 10.45 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. How many love you some Jesus today? Amen. Man, I love that song. Amen before I get going today um, and get into the message, I want to share something. I just, I think it's important that we share testimonies with one another. You know, when the uh, book of, uh, the first church got together in the book of Acts, so they would get together, they would share songs, they would share a word together, somebody would bring a word for other people, and they would share testimonies of what God is doing. Uh, We had our men's weekend, our men's trip, our men's camp out this last weekend um, on Friday and Saturday. We had about 50 guys that came, and let me just tell you something about these men. I think they were coming out because we talked about trap shooting and, and all these different things and fishing and campfires and games, but we had a guy who came, his name was James, and James shared a word, and he talked about the fact that we need rivers of life flowing into us so that we can be rivers of life flowing into other people, Amen. And he talked about how some of us men in this circle around this campfire, he's like, some of you guys, you've got desert places right now. You've got dead places that you need the river of life to flow in. You need Jesus to flow in where he becomes everything, and he fills those dead places and those desert places for them to produce life again. Amen? And I'm telling you, he challenged us. He said, so if that's you, I just want you to stand up. We want to pray over you. And all around the circle of 50 men, men began to pop up, just one by one by one. And guys began to circle around them, lay hands on these guys. And we began to pray that God would just create a river of life in these men to go out and transform the world. Amen? And so I want to give God praise for that. Because it was an awesome, awesome experience but then you know how God is? He's got a funny sense of humor, amen? And so God in his funny sense of humor says, and now I'm gonna give you practical application and pound this in so it rained three inches on us all night long, all right? Tents were flooded. We were literally rivers of life, all right? I'm just, I'm just saying. It was so wet and soggy out there, but it was awesome, All right. And so I just, I want you to be praying for these guys that stood up around that circle and said, God, I want more of you, less of me, because that's a bold statement. Number one, it's bold for a man to stand up around 50 other men. But it's another bold statement to say, less of me and more of you, God. And so be praying for those guys if you would. All right, cool. So if you're a visitor today, welcome. We're glad that you guys are with us. We call ourselves a family. You heard them say that earlier. And uh, so we consider just by default that you're in here, you're part of our family, whether you want to be or not, all right? And so... um We are in a sermon series called Galatians, where we're just going through the book of Galatians called Faith, Freedom, and Fruit. We're breaking it down just kind of section by section. We've been in it for five weeks now. We'll probably be in another five weeks. It's just been awesome. There's so much meat in it. But today, I'm really excited because uh, Pastor Matt brought an amazing word last week, didn't he? Can we give Matt a hand for that? He was fired up from youth camp, man. I'm telling you, there was no stopping that, man. I think he was around the stage like a track, like 20 times. But here's something that he said that caught me, man, and it just absolutely has wrecked me this last week. He said, he said, our weakest yes to Jesus is stronger than our strongest no. And what he was saying is that when we say yes to Jesus, when we say yes to the grace of God, even in those moments where it's like, "Mm, yes, He says, when we say it, man, it is stronger than our strongest no. When we're trying to defeat these things in our life, we just focus in on the presence of Jesus Christ, and that yes will radically change our life. And so all week long, I've been going, man, I don't want to just say no to things. I want to say yes to him. I don't want to say no just to all the sin in my life. I want to say yes to him. And when I say yes to him, his grace teaches me to say no. Amen? So it was a powerful word. So today... When we get into Galatians chapter 4, there's two things that I want to address in this first section of Galatians 4. The first thing is idolatry. Somebody say idolatry. And the second thing is adoption. Somebody say adoption. So we have to break this spirit of idolatry that's in us to begin to walk into a spirit of adoption that scripture talks about. Now when you see the word adoption, it's a powerful word. I love this kind of identity of adoption. I love the word adoption. My wife, Christian, and I—we've talked about it before. We're like, man, it just does a powerful thing. This thing called adoption. I want to share a story with you of a couple. Some of you guys remember them, uh, John and Carly Durham. They used to be a part of our, our church years ago, and they moved to Houston, Texas. And uh, uh, just—it's a long story. We're going to video them sometime because it's one of the most powerful testimonies of adoption I've ever heard. But to give you kind of just a snip clip of that, John and Carly had gone through some infertility and there was some anger there. And one day John was just sharing, he was just praying to the Lord, he's just seeking the Lord out. And the Lord had showed him something, just gave him some vivid picture that there are a lot of kids out there that need moms and dads, right? And it was just a powerful imagery. And so long story short, through a lot of things that the Lord set up, they connected with the group over in the Ukraine, and uh, over in the Ukraine, these kids that had disabilities, basically they get put in this orphanage or, or kind of like a hospital slash orphanage, and they're just neglected. They're just put there just to kind of waste away until they, until they die. And so John and Carly connected with this group that goes over there and the Lord opened up doors and they get over to this orphanage over in the Ukraine and there was a specific child that they had heard about that God just placed on the heart that they wanted to adopt. This was a little baby that had Down syndrome. And so they walk into this orphanage slash kind of hospital facility And they asked the doctor, they said, can you take us to where this child is at? And so the doctor kind of leads them through this place and into this room where this little baby lay in this really just kind of dark place, okay? Okay. And John and Carly, he's just shared how it was just, it was just a sad, sad state because they didn't see this child as vital, so they, they only checked on this child maybe once or twice a day while they, while they basically said, we're going we're to try to just take ones that we feel like are vital and just whatever happens to this one just happens to this one. So John and Carly go over and they open the door and they go in with this doctor and John describes this man vividly and it just broke my heart. This doctor, she picks up the hand of the baby and it drops. She picks up the hand of the baby and it drops. And she says in her Ukrainian accent, see, no vitality. Not worth it. And John, of course, he's like, no, worth it, (laughs) right? And she looks at them and and she says, you sure you want to do this? You sure you want to take this baby home with you? She says, how old are you? They said, they were in their late 20s, early 30s. 20s, 30s, and she said you want to waste your life and throw it away on this? And they said, absolutely. (laughs) And they took that child home to Houston and spent a couple months just trying to get the child healthy enough to take home. And that child today is vital to their family's life, and that child today is thriving, and that child today knows hope and joy because somebody with the love of Jesus says, I care about you. Amen? I'm amen. And I share that with you today because I think there are a lot of us that we don't understand what the spirit of adoption is that God has done in our life. And we feel like the way the enemy has made it feel in our life is that our hand is just going up and down and the enemy's going, not worth it. Not vital. God, do you want to spend time with these people? You want to spend time, God, with these people? You want to take these people in who spit on you and kick you and put you on a cross? You want to spend time with these people who have sin in their life? You want to spend time with these people? God, they're not vital. And he breathes that lie into us, and God says, no, 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 I'm a God of adoption, amen? And I'm coming for them, amen, church? And so today, why I'm so passionate about this is because I feel like when we break this idolatry in our life, we'll begin to understand what this spirit of adoption is that God has called us to. So we've got a lot of work to do. All right? Galatians chapter four, verses one through three. Think of it this way, Paul says. If a father dies and leaves his inheritance, To his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They had to obey their guardians until they reached whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. Listen to what he says. We are like children who were slaves. Somebody say slaves. Slaves. To the basic principles, or the way the Greek says that, to the basic spiritual powers of this world. And so I want to break this down for a minute. I want to start by breaking down this idea of what we were once enslaved to, because we'll never be able to understand what sonship is in Jesus Christ if we can't come out of what we've been enslaved to. And so Paul's opening up, and he's like, look, you were all once enslaved. We were all once enslaved to something, and until we understand what that is, we'll never break free from it. So the Galatians, before they were converted to Jesus Christ, they were enslaved to what he calls basic spiritual principles or basic spiritual powers, elementary principles. He says in verse eight, he says, gods who were not gods. In other words, they had idolatry in their life where they worshiped idols, thinking that these idols were going to do something for them. But then he also is talking about the law, because if you remember in Galatians, the problem is, is these Galatians believers are going to religious activity now so that they can have a relationship with God. So they've gone from idolatry of literal idols to idolizing God's law, which Jesus came and fulfilled inside of himself. And so Paul's going, "Both of these things are nonsense. You were enslaved to those idols, and now you're enslaved to the law, and you've gotta get rid of both of those. And so he's making a reference. In terms of the idolatry, he's saying, look, there are some demonic things when you're worshiping idols. But he's also taking them over to the law, and he's saying, look, there can be some demonic things when you're just stuck on religious activity, too. There can be a spirit of religion that does not produce anything in Christ, but just makes you feel good about yourself. And so he's trying to break those two things down. And he's saying, look, like before you knew Jesus, you were enslaved to the powers of this world. And we see this in Scripture. Ephesians chapter 6 says, our battle's not against flesh and blood. He says, our battle is against spiritual rulers and powers of this dark world. So look, at the end of the day, Like there's, there's no doubt that in this world that we dwell in, we're not just fighting flesh and blood, but we're fighting demonic activity that tries to come into our life. And remember what Scripture says, that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So many times it looks good, it looks right, but it's not Jesus. Amen, church? And so we've got to be able to break those things down. So just kind of historically speaking, people over the centuries gave power to these idols over their life. They gave power to the idols of, of, of nature, typically, so fire, wind, rain, all those kinds of things, right? And so what they would do is they would make these idols and they would worship these idols to get whatever they needed from that spiritual force. So they would worship and sacrifice to these idols to try to get these idols to give them something. And Paul is going, look, we can can try and do that not only with idols, but we can try to do that from law as well. We can try to follow the law so that we can try to get something from God. Does that make sense? And many times as believers, that's what we do. We just try to do good so that we can get something from God rather than doing good because we get God. (laughs) In other words, God is in me, therefore goodness flows out of me. But too many times we're chasing after good to try to get something from God, and he's trying to rebuke that. And so what we see when you uncover ancient ruins and they go to these historical sites of places that they'll find these idols and these temples that have these man-made idols that these people would get down and worship trying to get something from this spiritual force. And so you read about these cultures. If somebody needed rain, They would build these idols to the rain god and they would pray and they would worship and they'd sacrifice to the rain god, believing that this rain god was going to move and give them rain. If they had infertility, they would go to, and they wanted to get pregnant, they would go to these fertility goddesses and they would pray and they would worship over these fertility goddesses and they would believe that somehow this fertility goddess was going to give them what they needed. And so they'd go through these rituals to try to get their god to move on their behalf. And so Paul's saying, you know you Gentiles were into that at one time. But now you've gone from that idolatry to a new idolatry. And this new idolatry that you've gone into is that you've now just gone to the law of God. Now instead of it just being Jesus Christ, now you're trying to make religious activity your idols. Now you're trying to make doing your religious work your idols. And I just want to clarify because we've done it like every week for five weeks in here. Listen, coming to church does not make us Christians. Amen. Amen. Jesus coming into our life and transforming us is what makes us believers. And so he's trying to break this within these Gentile believers. And and, and here's why. Because if if you prayed to that fertility God, if you prayed to that God of rain and rain didn't come, you know what you'd do? You'd pray harder. And if you would go and you would pray for that rain, God, to bring rain because your crops were struggling and the rain didn't come, then you would start to say, it's me. I need to sacrifice more. I need to do more. And so you would see all these people saying, well, if, 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 if the rain's not coming, we're not doing something right. So maybe, and then this is where human sacrifice came in. So then these people would start sacrificing humans to their gods. And it was just a slippery slope. It just kept going down and down and down and down and down. And so Paul's going, do you remember when you Gentiles were like that? And now you've gone over to the other side. Now you're making religious activity for the Lord, your God. And so Paul says, man, in verse 3, you were enslaved to these things. You weren't living in freedom. You were simply enslaved to these things. And so why do we need to take note of this? Why is this important? And I'll tell you why. Because I believe that although we don't worship idols like that anymore, okay, We don't worship rain gods. I don't think we do unless somebody has a rain god in your house. And then there's issues because it rained three inches on us at men's (laughs) retreat. And I want to come and break down your idol or whatever. But we don't worship idols like that anymore. But we do have idols in our life. You see, we've traded those idols in for the idols of money. We've traded those idols in for the idols of sports. We've traded those idols for fame, for Hollywood, We've have, we have idols of food in our life, and all of those idols, Paul is saying, look, these are spiritual forces, these, these are spiritual things that can get in front of us and keep us from the things of God. These things have demonic activity in them if we allow them to have that. He's not saying sports are bad. He's not saying that that food is necessarily bad. He's not saying that money is bad. We know all that. We've heard all those things. He's saying if those things are rooted in our life and become our love affair or become our attention or become our desires or become the center of our hearts and Jesus is somewhere up here, but those things rule our life, then he says there's demonic activity in that. Amen? And so here's where he's gonna start making a distinction from being under slavery to the idols and under slavery to the law, and he's gonna start changing this thing up and saying, this is where we get to see God as father who comes in, breaks the idolatry of slavery under those things, and gives us an identity of sonship through adoption. Because the reality is he's setting something up here. The reality, church, is that these idols that we worship, these spiritual powers, these things cannot deliver what they promise, amen? They just can't. They're not sovereign. They're not powerful. These things, the, the, the fa- fame will never deliver. Fame will never give you what you want. You ask Hollywood. You, you ask people who are famous, and they'll tell you, it doesn't give you fulfillment. Money will never deliver because you're always going to want more. You've heard these things. Always want more, always want more. And it will never bring the fulfillment that you're looking for. All of these things, sports will never deliver, ever. You'll work, work, work. You'll turn 40 years old and you're broken, amen? Broken, I tell you, all right. None of these things will deliver what Jesus can only deliver. And so Paul is looking at these Gentiles going, you you had Jesus, man. Now you're adding to him, not just your idols, you're adding to him this law, these regulations, this religious activity, and it's not going to deliver because they are not powerful like him. And yet, why this is so important is because despite knowing that, I don't think anybody really buys into, I mean, we think we do, we pursue it like we do, but despite knowing that these things will not deliver, we still run to these things. We still run to these things for happiness, but if I could just do this, it'll make me happy. And so, of course, when we run to these things, our culture exploits them. So these things that we think will bring happiness to us, our culture just simply exploits them. And this is why Hollywood loves to continue to make movies about paranormal activity because there's kind of this, ooh, demonic stuff in that, right? And what they do is they make movies like Friday the 13th and there's endless amounts of them, all right? Kill the guy already, seriously. (laughs) So you've got a 1,000 Friday the 13th, and what you see in this is there's really a tricky thing that's happening, and and that is this. They sometimes allow evil to win, and they sometimes allow good to win. And so what they're doing is they're showing that sometimes good wins, sometimes evil wins. And so then we begin to build a theology that although we know God is all-powerful, sometimes God wins, sometimes he doesn't win. And we would never say that out loud, but that's the way we walk around at times. We walk around as though, I know God is all-powerful, but I'm telling you, this thing cannot be broken, right? This thing cannot go away. And so we walk around that way because everything in culture is exploiting what we try to run to that's idols in our life. In the Gospels, you'll see something. When Jesus confronts these spiritual forces, When Jesus confronted these demon-possessed people, when, when Jesus confronted these idol worshipers, do you know that if you pick up your Gospels, you'll never read where these demons had an argument with Jesus and said, nope, not going. I'm like, I'm dug in, right? Jesus would speak. He would say, out of the man or out of the woman. And there was never a time where the demon was like, let me collect my things for a while. It'll take a week, all right? It was immediate, Why? Why would they never do that? Why was it never like it took a while, Jesus had to pray harder, Jesus had to really go after it, he came back two days later, it was still there. Why? Because none of those things will ever be more powerful than Jesus Christ. And yet we run to him. And he's saying, break that. And that's what he's telling the Galatian believers. It's time to break those things. So Paul is bringing this up to the Galatians Because at the same time, church, he's not just addressing idolatry. At the same time, he's addressing the law. And what he's saying is this, the same thing can be true of religious activity as well. That once we were enslaved to these things and that religious activity will never deliver. You're in the same boat, listen to this, you're in the same boat when you're trying to use holiness standards as a means of salvation. Let me tell you what that means. I'm all about holiness, man. When Jesus comes into your life, there's something that stirs in your heart. You're changed. Something changes. And I want to pursue the things of God. It says in Scripture, without holiness no one will see the Lord. Jesus says, be holy as I am holy, right? And so I'm all about holiness. Here's the problem. When we use holiness as our standard in trying to get to God, we throw the grace of God out the window. We think that our holiness is going to put us in right standing with God rather than the grace of God. I want to give you a great truth that you already know, but I just want to reiterate in this place. There is nothing good that you and I can do that's going to get us closer to God. Amen. Amen. God is already drawing into us. <laughs> he already desires us. You're not going to like flip a switch where God's like, you're a little bit more of the apple of my eye today. All right. That's just not gonna happen. God loves you with an all-consuming love as much as he can possibly lavish upon you right now. And your religious activity is not gonna stir his affections to go, today I love you more. His love is complete 100% right now in this room. His love is complete. And because his love is complete, 100% right now in this room, some of us are allowing this religious activity, this, this identity of going, if I can just use this holiness as a method of my salvation, and you're coming into the enslavement of the law again. My church attendance, man, it's going to make me, I'm going to to draw closer to God because of my church attendance. Look, come to church. I'm not saying don't come to church. I'm not saying those things are not good. I'm saying if you use them as thinking that somehow God's going to love you better, we've missed the grace of God. So how do we know if we're in enslavement to this? I heard a pastor share this. How do we know if we're in enslavement to this, I'll call it religiosity? He says this. When you, one of the markers of knowing if you're enslaved into this is that you come into Christian gatherings, you come into church, you come into Bible studies, whatever, and you want your ears tickled. <laughs> you want to come in, you're like, all right, pastor, give it to me. I want to be happy, 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 right? I want you to give it to me. Tell me how awesome I am. I want you to tell me how good I'm doing. You know, keep on the down low if there's a little sin out there, what God does to that. Other than that, just fill me with encouragement, Right? And so what happens is is we seek that out. We seek those things out. We want to be happy. We want good messages. We want all of these things to just flow over so that when we walk out of those doors, we're so encouraged, but we don't want to address things in our life that need to be changed, corrected. And he says, you'll know that when you're enslavement to religiosity, when when it comes about behavior and religious activity, rather than saying, when the presence of God comes in me, he wrecks me, wrecks me. And so God's desire today to set you free is to wreck you. That's why Paul is saying, you were once enslaved. Something happens. Something changes in our life. Something flips. Something begins to change our life that transforms us more and more into Jesus. So I'm just going to lay this out to you in the next 10 minutes. But listen, this is the simplicity of the gospel message. That's all we're going to do right now. What comes over our life is a spirit of adoption. Somebody say spirit of adoption. It's the simplicity of the gospel and that's it. Some of you guys are going to go, I know this. Like we talk about this. You make, we make a big deal about this in here. And here's what I want to say to you that already know this. You longtime believers that have come into this place. You may know this. My question is, are you walking this out? Okay? Because we know a lot. I know a lot. Well, that's not true. I know some but I don't always walk it out. So you may know this, but my question is, are you walking out this sonship, are you walking out this spirit of adoption mentality? And for you guys that are in here and you're like, man, this is like my second time in church ever, I want you to know I pray that God wrecks you today. And just absolutely comes in, you're so filled with hope and love, like you burst out of these doors going, how do you guys not talk about this all the time, right? because it's so powerful when you begin to see what Paul's getting ready to share here in Galatians four. All right, Galatians four, four through seven. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, talking about Jesus. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts prompting us to call out Abba Father. We're gonna talk about that. Basically, Abba Father is Daddy God. Not just Father, you're my daddy, all right? So he prompted us to call out Abba Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child, and since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Let me just say this, church. One of the most profound ideas of the gospel and really central theme of the gospel message is this heart or this identity of adoption. And not just adopting humans, not just human to human, which is a beautiful act by the way, but but this beautiful act that God would step down to adopt us. This is the central theme of the gospel message. You don't understand this in the Old Testament. You don't t- it doesn't talk about this in the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament, it wasn't that. In the Old Testament, it was all about law. Keep the law. Keep the law. If you screwed up, sacrifice. If you screwed up, sacrifice. And it was just a, a, a thing, repetition over and over and over. That's what they would do, and so you don't see that. Then all of a sudden, the heart of the New Testament comes in, and when the heart of the New Testament comes in, it says, look, despite what you do, despite the sin that you have in your life, despite the way you missed the marks, you've been adopted in, that while you were still in sin, Christ died for you. So it's really one of the most profound ideas of the gospel, and yet out of all the concepts that God could have used, church, he didn't have to use this concept of adoption to explain how he saved us. In fact, most of the time in the New Testament, he's used the concept of new birth, Right? that you have to be born again. You guys have heard that terminology before. You gotta be born again. You've gotta gotta, uh, 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 have a new life in Christ. And so really what he's doing is he's used this new terminology of new birth over and over and over. John 1, 12 says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. So he could have just stuck with this theme of being reborn and everybody would have got it said, yeah, I just got to be reborn, but yet that's not what he did. He chose to speak to us through the word adoption as well as being reborn, and let me tell you why I believe that's true, because being born again is how we get into the family. Being born again is how you get the nature of sons and daughters of God, but listen to this church, being adopted into your family is how you fully enjoy all of your rights in the family of God. You see, being born again gives me a new nature. Being adopted in gives me all the rights, amen? And so when we look at this, he uses adoption, and it's a powerful word. And I listened to John Piper one time, and he gave all of these reasons why adoption is a powerful word. Three principles, though, really stuck out to me on the spirit of adoption. He says this, number one, adoption, the reason it's such a powerful word is because adoption is costly, Listen to this, church. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom. We're going to talk about what that meant, that he bought our freedom. Buy freedom for us who were slaves to law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. It says that God sent him to buy freedom. The word that we use a lot is you've been redeemed. We use the word redeem. Redeem means that you have been set free because somebody paid a price. So what was the price then that God paid so that we could have freedom in this adoption? We saw it earlier in Galatians 3.13. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. The curse was the wages of sin is death. When he was hung on the cross, Jesus was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse of our wrongdoing. Church, that's a big deal. Not only did he fulfill the fact that somebody had to die, he took the curse of that upon himself. Because God is always just, amen? And in God's justice, he's going, look, I made a promise. If you do this, somebody's got to die. But I don't want it to be you, so it's going to be me. And he took that force, and it was the cost of his son's life, Jesus Christ. There are huge costs when it comes to adopting children. This is how God sees us. There's financial costs. Some of you guys have been through this. There are financial costs. There are emotional costs when you adopt. There are costs in time and stress because the rest of your life, you will never stop being a parent, amen? You will never stop. In fact, I think about my mom in this. I wrote a little note in there. I'm like, my mom calls and says, look, honey, there's a storm. It's 100 miles away. Are you in your basement? And I'm like, seriously, mom, I've done this. I'm a Kansas boy. We're like, We have weathered these things, right? But that's the heart of a parent. The heart of a parent says, no matter how old you get, no matter how much you think you know, no matter how much you think you've grown, no matter how mature you are, I will always be a father, always be a mother to you. Amen, church. So God's going, look, I don't care how good you think you are, how far you've gone, how mature, I'm always going to see you guys as my kids. (laughs) And so therefore, I'm always going to want that relationship with you. And so we see that adoption is costly because God gave us Jesus so that he could have us. Look at number two. Adoption involves the legal status of the child changing. Verse five, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves of the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts prompting us to call out, Abba, Father, now you are no longer a slave but you're God's own child. Our legal status changes. Listen, something changed within us when we came to Christ. Our legal status changed. We were slaves under the wrath of God. We were not free. We were under the curse of death. Then Jesus came. My brother and my sister-in-law, Bree, had an opportunity a few years back to adopt a little girl in our family. They had three boys, and they're like, we got to mix it up, amen? And so Lila comes along. And, man, I remember it just kind of fell into their lap. It just, the way God works things out is amazing, but she just kind of fell into their lap. And I'll never forget watching Lila in those first kind of couple months, just kind of struggling a little bit of going, look, my name is Lila, and she had a different last name, right? And she had had a different last name, and then one day I just remember it just clicks. She says, my name is Lila Wallace. She didn't have to earn it. She didn't have to work for it. They didn't say, "Look, Lila, we're going to give you six months. We're going to try this thing out." Right? They didn't do that. They said the moment she came into the family, she became Lila Wallace. Her old life was gone. Her old name was gone. And I love. Brie shared this in between services. She said there was a time in school where Lila goes to school, and the teacher had wrote her old name, Lila, and her old last name, and Lila was furious, and she goes, "That's not my name." My name is not that. My name is Lila Wallace. And the teacher's like, Well, honey, I've got to put this down. And she goes, That's not my name. And I mean, she was arguing. She was, she was don't, don't, don't mess with that woman, all right? Like she was ready to go to blows, little body, little tiny body, ready to go to blows. She's like, You better put my name on that because the name that you put on that no longer exists. My name is Lila Wallace. I've been adopted in. There's a mom and daddy that came after me. And let me tell you something, that mom and daddy changed my life. She's part of our family. She gets every right that we have as Wallaces, amen? She doesn't have to be perfect. She doesn't have to earn her way in. She just simply has to say, I receive it. Something in us changes because Roman 8, 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Listen to me, church. God does not leave us in the condition of orphans. Amen. He does not leave us. When he adopts us in, he does not leave us in the condition of orphans. He pours his spirit out into our heart and we experience the full embrace of being in the family of God. Lila, I'm telling you right now, Lila doesn't wrestle with inside of herself going, I kind of think I'm a, I don't know if I'm a part, I kind of, I feel like I'm just living in this family, but I don't know if I really have access. She has all access and she knows it. She doesn't act like an orphan anymore. She knows that she's in the family. The reason that I that that, that that he cries out Abba Father twice in Romans and in Galatians, they both use the word Abba Father, which again in Aramaic, they don't translate it into the Greek. They leave it in the Aramaic. The reason that that Abba is so important is because he's saying, Daddy, if you get a picture, it's the same picture the disciples had when they looked at Jesus and they saw Jesus in this culture. Nobody said Abba like that. And all of a sudden they're seeing, in terms of speaking to God, and all of a sudden they see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's down on his knees. And you guys remember the Garden of Gethsemane moment. He He's pouring his heart out to God. He knows what's getting ready to come. What's getting ready to come is the wrath of God being ready to be poured out on Jesus. And he says, Father, Abba, if you're willing, Daddy, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will be done, but your will be done. If your memory's in agony in this moment, and he uses the word Abba, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. I, I'll, I'll do it if you want me to do it. If there's another way, let me know. But I know this is the way, so I'm gonna walk in obedience. And the disciples in Mark 14, they took note of this, they didn't change the language. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. And why I love this church. Why I love the word Abba is because in this moment when Paul says in Romans and Galatians that we get to cry out Abba, he's saying in the same way that Jesus had access to the Father, we have access to the Father. He is daddy to us. He is daddy. Goes far beyond going, I know a father that's out there. No, he is daddy to us. And we've talked about, you have daddy issues. If you went Look, he's a whole different daddy, Amen. He's a whole different daddy. Adopted children do not live in the state that they are children by simply checking off adoption papers. We don't live in the state of being adopted in the family of God because we checked off that in 1989 I gave my life to Christ and I was baptized when I was 10. We know we're adopted in because the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are His sons and daughters. And the last one is simply this, real quickly. Adoption brings the rights of being heirs of the Father. And because we are his children, verse six, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave or servant, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. We, we, we make a big deal about this. You guys have heard us talk about inheritance and being an heir of Christ a thousand times. Again, though, I'm gonna say it. My prayer is that I could we could preach the same message over and over and over, amen? Over and over and over until every person, all however many people, two, three hundred people in this room, get it and live it out, and then we'll go on to something else. Because when you get this, when we get this, when we understand inheritance, when we understand that we are heirs of God, it changes everything. I want you to hear this. When we take God's name and He changes our legal status, and we take God's name and we become heirs of Christ, it's a never ending inheritance, church. It's never ending. When we put our inheritance in the things of the world, they're here one day, they're gone the next. We call them transient. They're here one day, they're gone the next. When we put all of our attention and time and efforts into the inheritance of this world, it's gone one day that's there, the next day it's gone. And here's the thing, the inheritance that we get from God is never ending. We'll never run out of love, hope, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, amen? Paul is setting us up. He's going, look, when you get adoption in chapter 4, we're going to move in chapter 5 into the fruits of the Spirit. But until you know you're adopted in the family, you'll never be able to run in the fruits of the Spirit. That's your inheritance. That's a never-ending inheritance. So Paul's setting us up. And so I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to close out. But I want to challenge you guys with something this morning. I think there's difficulty with this. You know, when we start talking about the revelation of spiritual adoption, I think some of us go, man, I I struggle with that a little bit. And let me tell you why I think that is. Because there's two parts to adoption. Number one, the part to adoption is that you've been adopted in, he is taking us in, and you have to say yes to that. So God's saying, I want to take you in, I've got to say yes to that. But there's a second part, which we just said, that you get to call him Abba, Father, Daddy, God. And I think some of us are going, yes, adopt me, take me in. But I think we miss the second part of saying, he's daddy. That that type of relationship, he's Abba. So with Jesus, I think we, we get this. In theory, we know this. In theory, we understand this. But we don't always operate. Like, I think we get that God is Father. I think Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I think we get it. But I don't know that we always operate in it. We see God as father, but we don't operate like that, as a son or a daughter would with a father. We still operate like a servant. We still operate like a servant. Let me give you an example as we close out with this tendency that I think we have. I love the story of the prodigal son still always going to be one of my favorite stories. You know the story, son comes to the father real quickly, setting this up, comes to the father, says, I want my inheritance, give it to me now. Father says, okay, son, here you go. Goes off a couple years, squanders it all, lets all of the inheritance he was given go. He finds himself eating out of a pig trough, going, man, I know that my father, he still recognizes this guy as his father. I know that my father treats his servants better than what I'm eating right now. So I'm gonna go back to my father as a servant. I'm gonna go back with my head down low and I'm gonna ask my dad to take me in as one of his servants. And I think for many of us, this is still how we operate. So he starts walking down the road. He's a far distance off, scripture says. That's important. He's a far distance off. I'm assuming his head was down low. He's coming back with nothing to show with his inheritance. And he's coming home as a servant. He's not coming home as a son, and he's walking as a servant would walk, slowly. And from far off, his father jumps off of the porch, runs down the road, takes his finest robes and clothes him, finest rings and puts them on his finger, and he says, you will not be a servant, you are my son. You will not walk like a servant, you'll walk like my son. You will not act like an orphan, you will walk like my son. You see, church, I think from this vantage point, walking down that corridor, many of us resonate that God is Father, but we're walking down that corridor like we're servants and not sons and daughters. And let me tell you how a servant comes to the Father. A servant comes to the Father like this. I tried hard today God, I, 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 I'll I try harder though, I, I'll, uh, I'll work even harder. I'm a servant, I, I know I didn't make the mark so I'll, I'll put in double time. I know I missed that, I'll, I'll try harder. Did I do a good job? Because I'm going to try hard. That's the way a servant approaches the father. Let me tell you how sons and daughters approach the father. Our heads are held high, what's up daddy-o, keys of the kingdom, thank you very much, right? We've got confidence, do you see that, do you see that, do you see what I You know, and all of a sudden, God's lavishes love upon us. Why? Because we know that we're in the family. A servant's head's down. I just don't know if I was good enough today. I'll try harder next week, boss. Did I do everything you wanted me to do? Sons and daughters have their heads up high. They own the joint. Amen? They walk into the presence of God and they say, Daddy, how's it going today? So the challenge for you today is this. Are you walking down that corridor as a servant? I'll try harder, God. I'm enslaved right now and I'll try, are you walking down that corridor as sons and daughters? We're going to close out, church. I want to open the altar up and the sides if you want to come and pray. Pray where you're at, doesn't really matter. But I believe with everything in my heart that there's some servant mentalities in here. The spirit of adoption is so important. Because there's some people walking around as servants going, I'm just going to try harder next week. I messed it up this week. I'm going to try harder next week. And God's saying, son, daughter, lift your head up. You are royalty. You are royalty. And when we were praying in between services, Nancy shared something with me. She said, it's not about me trying to chase after God. God was pursuing me the whole time the reason I love the imagery that the father was far off and he jumps and runs to the son, we'll never make it to God in our own strength. God runs after us. He pursues us. So lift your head. You're not a servant or a slave any longer. You're sons and daughters. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I pray somebody's heart, somebody in this room is staring down the corridor. They're looking down that long road, and they're saying, man, this whole time, this whole time I've been approaching God like a servant. I've been enslaved to that servanthood mentality. I've been enslaved to think it's all about what I'm doing and trying and never succeeding and trying over again, and I'll try harder, and I'll try harder, and always missing the mark. And this whole time, Scripture is opening my eyes to this identity that I'm a son and a daughter of God, That's not in my trying, it's in God's loving me. It's in God's pursuit of me. It's in the fact that God adopted me into His family. So today God, I lay down that enslavement, enslavement to things, enslavement to the law, and I walk in the freedom of Jesus Christ as your son. I walk in the freedom of Jesus Christ as your daughter. Today, God, not tomorrow, today, I pray that heart is made in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's stand up. Let's worship. The altar is open if you need to come, and you need to trade in some slavery for some sonship today. Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.